Hi, this is Chad Barr, and this is my new and improved podcast channel, Raising the Bar. I'm excited to bring to you powerful life, business, marketing, and internet insights to help strengthen your web presence and digital empire to dramatically increase your success. Hi, this is Dove Barron. I am a best-selling author, international speaker, strategist, and consultant. And today on Chad Bauer's show, we're going to talk about purpose, the real purpose, and how passion is not purpose. And how if you think you're going to find your purpose in your passion, you won't. And what you real, what's really true about you, you're going to discover about this, finding out what's really true about you so that you can turn that into the diamond mine as an entrepreneur, as a leader, and as a magnificent being. Stay tuned. I'm very excited today to be with Dove Baron. Dove is recognized as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire in corporate cultural strategies. He's the founder of the Full Monty Leadership and a best-selling author. His latest book is Fiercely Loyal, which you can obviously find on Amazon, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. He's a consultant, a speaker, a strategist, leadership expert, author, content creator, and an amazing podcaster. Welcome, Dove. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here, Chad. Likewise. I have a whole bunch of questions to ask you today. So when someone approaches you and see you for the first time and asks you, what do you do? And of course, what I just share, what do you do, Dove? How do you best explain, describe the essence of what you do in your business? That's a great question, because that answer would de- be dependent upon who's asking. And so, you know, I know everybody talks about you got to find your niche and all the rest of it. But the thing is that I think that's what's more important is to find out what the person needs. It's fine for me to say I'm a X, Y or Z. But if you're not interested in that or if my framework is wrong. So it's one of the things is that I think we have to have adaptability around how we listen rather than looking to give our, our answer right away. So for me, the question is, are you looking for somebody who's a speaker? Are you looking for somebody to come in as a consultant? Are you looking for how I work with individuals? What are you looking for? So if that person says, I'm looking for somebody to help me personally, what do you do? My answer is, do you know your purpose? And some people will say yes. And I say, please tell me what it is, because invariably, People don't know their purpose, even when they think they do. They know a mission. They might have gone to the surface level. But what I do individually is get people down to what we call their primary drivers, find out what their real purpose is. And that actually is the gift that has been given to them in usually in the most painful things. So I help them to find that and turn that into something that's very powerful, gives their life deep meaning, deep purpose and fulfillment. In companies, what we do is, The same thing, but at a deeper level. What that means is that we find the purpose of all the executives in the team. We build a purpose for the organization. And then we, so we get purpose-driven leaders building a purpose-driven company, creating a purpose-driven culture. And that's what the corporate cultural strategist is, is how do we put that into the culture? So probably much deeper than the time allows us today. But uh, succinctly, I'm curious two things. Number one, why is it that individual organizations have an issue discovering their purpose? And can you describe how do you help them uncover that purpose? I think that people have a problem finding purpose because 
most people don't know what it even means. It's become a, a cool word to say. Um, the uh, in, in, in the book Scaling Up and Rockefeller Habits, it's actually been a good boost for my business because in there they say you, you can't scale up if you don't have purpose. So, okay, we got to find purpose. Well, what they've done is they've got out the paint and given a new lick of paint to a mission statement that nobody gives a shit about. I mean, that's the bottom line because it's something that's manufactured. Purpose is not manufactured. It's elicited. So it's not something we come up with. It's something we dig into. It's elicited out. It's educat from the Greek. Educat to bring out, not educate to shove in. So it's something that must be elicited out. So the reason they don't find it is because, very simple, none of us are objective in our subjective reality. None of us, even those of us like me who've been working on myself for 150 years, we don't have that objectivity. We can never fully be objective in our own lives. So we need experts. We need people who can really help us to dig into that and see what we don't see. The reason it's called a blind spot is for that reason. We are naturally blind to it. So that's why people can't find it. They don't know what they're actually looking for. And so the mistake is that we go, oh, it must be my passion. Your passion and your purpose are different things. Your passion is a vehicle that transports your purpose, not the other around. What do you do to help organization, executive, individual increase their success as subjective as it may be? Well, number one, again, and again, thank you for that, because it's, it's an important message is that success is subjective. We've got the bottom line statistics on success. We say, well, you know, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. But for me, success has to be measured also in the context of fulfillment. If you've got a million dollars in the bank, but you're miserable, that's not success. If you've got 50 million in the bank and you're sick or your kids hate you, it doesn't particularly feel very successful. So it's it's much bigger piece than we've been told to believe. And we've been told that the meaning of our lives is our work, but no, work is a vehicle for meaning. It's not the meaning. The meaning of your life is your own purpose. So what I do is help people to find out what that is for you and then how can you increase that by doing something in the world, which may be something you make money from, maybe a business. So for instance, you have a business, you're very successful at what you do, you're very highly regarded, you work with some of the most successful people there are, and helping them to build their brands and bring their brands to the surface. And that is something you're magnificent at. And obviously you get paid very well for it, and you should. On the other side of it, you're also a photographer, as we talked about before we came, before we started recording, and that's something that gives you great fulfillment. And I would suggest to you that if I took away your business and you had your photography, you, because of who you are as a businessman, you'd find a way to make money with it. But you'd have to build a business again. That's right. If I took away your business and left you with the photography, that's what would happen. If I took away your photography, you'd still have your financial success, but there'd be a piece missing. So it's a holistic thing. And what we don't do is dig into, well, what are all the elements of that? That moment of holding a child or a grandchild is part of that success. You can't do that if you're working 70, 80 hours a week. So it's, it's looking at all the elements that create the success slash fulfillment for that individual by helping them to tap into their purpose and then apply purpose to everything you're doing. The gift I believe I was given early in my 
childhood and my career was music. I was a musician. I was a music major before I decided to change my music to computer science. Yet I made my living for many years as a musician. Yet the same talent I believe that I was given the gift of to play, to improvise, to compose, I believe I used that talent to move into software development, which became my first business and then transferred the software development business into internet development, it almost caused me the same mental pleasure writing music or playing music as writing software and developing web solutions for clients. So what are your thoughts about taking some of the talents that we are given and, and now, by the way, applying hopefully the same gift and talent to photography? So what are your thoughts, reflection on using the talent we are given in different aspects of our lives? That's a great question and a great insight. So I think, first of all, I, I think no learning is wasted. That's number one. I think that, you know, there's all kind of, and, you know, people get upset with millennials because they seem to be jumping ship every 10 minutes and doing something new. No learning is wasted uh, as long as you are willing to have flexibility with it. I'll tell you, if I may, I'll tell you a little story about that. I, I was invited to come speak to a, uh, a launch project for high school kids where they were teaching kids entrepreneurship. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's in my own town. It's not, I would love to go do that. So I went and did it. And while I'm giving this presentation about being an entrepreneur, which I've been since I was a kid, I said to this audience of, they were ranging between 17 and 19 years old. I said, people will tell you what you should do. And you will even think you should do something. But here's the thing. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you should do it. There are many things I was very good at that I would not want to do in my life as a career. But here's the thing. When I was a kid, everybody, everybody I knew believed I would grow up and I would be an artist. I painted my art. I painted and sculpted and my art was in galleries by the time I was 11 years old. Everybody believed I was an artist, including me. I thought I was going to be an artist. It was absolutely my certainty. You know, and here I am doing what I do. And I'm saying this to these kids, right? And this girl puts her hand up and she goes, do you miss it? And I said, you know, to miss it would mean I would think about it and go, oh, why haven't I drawn or painted or whatever it is in a while? And I said, you know, I don't miss it. That's interesting. Good question. So we carried on with the rest of the presentation. At the end, I said, before I finish, I just want to come back to you. And I pointed to this young lady. And I said, I wanted to thank you for that great question about if there are, whether I miss being an artist. Because as I've been speaking to you, that's been going on in the back of my mind. I've been thinking about it. And she says, oh, yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, and you've made me realize something. And she said, what? I said, do you know the story of Michelangelo and David? And she said, no. And they all said, no. And I said, well, you know, the, 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 the sculpture of David that's in, you know, in Italy there and that Michelangelo made that piece of art. And there's a story, and I don't know if it's true, that Michelangelo was asked, how did you create David from this block of marble? And that Michelangelo said, I didn't. I just chipped away everything else. And I said to her, I said, thank you for asking me a question because I realize I'm still an artist. And she said, what do you mean? I said, that's what I do with people. I chip away everything that's false to reveal their purpose, which is what's real. The truth of who you are has never gone away. You've always been a magnificent diamond. Somebody may have dumped a thousand tons of garbage on you, but that doesn't change that the diamond is in there. And what I do when I work with a person, when I work with a company, is I 
pull everything else back and reveal the magnificence, the, the David, the diamond that is within. And so I'm still an artist, but I just, instead of adding, I now remove. It's a very fulfilling place. So that's, so I fully agree with you that that skill, even though it doesn't look like it's the same, is the same skill. So for you, the artistry of music and, and the, the ability to think in that creative way and to, quote, improvise is what you're doing today in your business. It's what, certainly what you're doing in your, in your photography, but you're doing in your business. I know because I've seen your work. And, and it is that improvisational, it is that artistic, but it's got a different outlet. That's all. Again, passion is not purpose. So your passion was in your music. And now you go, well, have I lost my passion? No. The purpose is the same. The vehicle's changed. The purpose has now shifted out of the vehicle of music, and it went into the, view, uh, into the vehicle of computer software and software, and now it's gone from that into other forms of artistry, whether it's in photography or whatever it is. That purpose doesn't go away. The vehicle changes. That's beautiful. I want to talk about what I feel is one of your key gifts is to help people uncover their leadership skills. So being a leadership expert, I'm also curious, there are probably other leaders out there, both dead and alive, that you admire. What's one or two that come to mind among possibly hundreds of leaders that you admire? And I'm also curious, why is it that you admire them? I'll start with some of the obscure. Um, so a leader I admire, the Baal Shem Tov, who most people won't know who that is, but I know you will who was uh, the forefather of, of a particular sect of Jewish philosophers who was actually, if we put it into an understanding of today, he was pantheistic in that he understood the beauty of nature and he understood the, the divinity of nature and that the prayer was not to be held inside a, a room, but prayer was an interaction that goes on with nature uh, and, and that he confronted all those who surrounded him and, and was willing to be an outsider in order to create something new. And I always admire that. It's for the same reason that uh, one of my great people that I look to, one of my, quote, Bibles, is Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. That book is, for me, it's something I read multiple times a year. Gibran, you know, was out there as a leader doing as an artist, he was an artist, what people don't know, he was an artist, he was a poet, and he was a philosopher. And that willingness to talk about things that other people couldn't talk about. So for me, the, the leaders I admire are often rebels in that they stand out first, that they, they're confronted, um, you know, Heisenberg uh, and his uncertainty principle was, was rejected. I loved Heisenberg's work. In, in quantum physics, uh, Martin Luther King is one of the great leaders that I admire phenomenally because decided to follow uh, Gandhi's path of passive resistance. So for me, the people I admire, John Lennon, these leaders are leaders across many aspects of life who said, it's not about a tweak. And oftentimes we think, you know, people talk about innovation and they're not talking about innovation at all. What they're actually talking about is a tweak. Innovation is not a tweak. You know, Netflix was not a tweak. Netflix was an innovation. It was a complete transformation. Uh, it's that getting out and doing something that everybody else will think is nuts. 
and standing that powerfully in your own certainty. It's what Elon Musk has done. There's a wonderful interview with Elon Musk who I admire. I don't admire his leadership style, but I admire him for his leadership because every person he admired, every person he held on a pedestal and uh, aspired to be like, said to him he was an idiot, told him he would never be able to, to build rockets that took off and landed, stupid, that you could ever build electric cars that would be production cars or lead the industry. Well, you know what? They were all wrong. His willingness to not make tweaks and call them innovation, but to be a radical rebel, to go to that outer edge and say, you know what? I cannot dance inside of your comfort zone. Screw it. I got to do something bigger. Those are the leaders I admire. I love it. You have become, from my perspective, and I believe many that follow you, a prolific publisher of great content. And by the way, I've been saying for years that one of the signs of thought leadership, the ones that I admire, the most successful ones out there, are all prolific publishers of remarkable content, and they don't stop creating this amazing content. I see you as one of those prolific publishers of great content, in-demand global speaker, a very successful entrepreneur with great demand in your podcast channel. I, I checked it the other day. I think there's over 300 pieces that just in the past few years you've created. It's just amazing. Can you talk about the journey, how you started and how you got there from the perspective of creating this amazing empire? I call it digital empire creation. How have you gone to create this digital empire of yours? Well, first, let me say thank you. That was very kind of you, very generous. This digital empire is because I'm a nut. I'm insane. Um, the person who runs my marketing said to me a few years ago, she says, you don't need to do anything for two or three years. We've got enough content. I'm like, yeah, that's a nice idea, but it's never going to happen. I'm an artist. I'm a creator. I'm a high creative. I can't not create. Um, I see something. I, you know, there's one of my quotes online. It says, the purpose of books is not to fill you with wisdom, but to inspire you to find your own. And so when I read something, invariably, it triggers something in my brain and I go, oh, but then this and then I start expanding that and go off and start making this painting of philosophy in my mind. So for me, uh, that's always gone on. The frustration, and this is why I think it's important for your viewers, your listeners to really get is this. Why is there a point, there's a start point in my content creation that has gone and exploded and there was nothing before it? And the answer is because I believed my own shit. And what I mean by that is the self-doubt. As you know, I fell in 1990. And after I fell in my recovery, a friend of mine came to visit me from Australia. And he said to me, uh, where's your book? And I said, what book? And he goes, your book. You should have a book. And I go, yeah, I'm not, that's not going to happen. And he goes, why? I said, I can't write. And he said, what do you mean you can't write? And I said, I can't write. He goes, you can speak, you can write. And I go, no, no, I can't. And he goes, tell me why. I said, my spelling's awful and my grammar's worse. And he said, there are these little people, they live under bridges. No, they're not trolls. They're called editors, idiot. <laughs> and, you know, and it never crossed my mind. And then I started to think about it. I thought, okay, I'll use an editor. And then I thought, then my shame came. If I hand this to an editor, they're going to see... I'm a schmuck. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So all my self-doubt came up and all that nonsense. And so I found a friend who knew me, who I trusted, 
who would just help me to understand English better, as in from the writing perspective. And that made me a little bit better and helped me to create my English a little bit better. And then from there, I've gone on to, as you know, I've written, I don't know how many books, uh, I think 16 or something. And the content creation has happened by getting out of my own way, by, by saying, I just have to, there's something in this, there's a gift in this for somebody, maybe one person. But I have to share this, not for me. Yes, it is my 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 creative expression, and that's for me. But because there's a difference to be made, and one of the things I want to say to you, the entrepreneur, as you listen to this, is understanding this: that your gifts, your hopes, and your dreams were not given to you by mistake. They are your heart and soul crying out for expression, and you need to express that. And you need to express that from this point of view. That the impact you can have needs to be bigger than the bullshit fear you're carrying. You have to put that to the side. And yes, you know, my very first book was a book of quotes. It's fascinating. I've got it. It's this horrible little thing. And it's so full of mistakes. I mean, there, I actually put a picture of it up and I said, there are more grammatical mistakes in this book than there are pages. <laughs> It's this desire to have impact. And that is how you become a content creator. It's the desire to have impact, asking who will suffer if I play small? That's the question. Not, oh, my ego might get bruised and somebody will say I'm an idiot. That's going to happen anyway, even if you're a genius. So understand it. You have to ask that question. Who will suffer if I continue to play small. So for me, there was nothing, and then there's a sort of trickle out, and then as getting over those punches, then I got lots of punches about my content, and then tried to engage with those people who wanted to be the trolls who would attack me, and then going, you know what? I'm not serving them, it's okay. And then just being committed to serving who you're here to serve. And for me, that is in as many outlets and as many possible ways as I can. It is really, really beautifully said. I've come to realize several years ago, you know, as I said earlier, we've been in the software development. We help our clients with every aspect of the web presence, content creation. But here's the big aha moment for me, talking about some of the words you use, finding the purpose. Several years ago, I realized, what if some of the greatest thinker of history, whether it's the Aristotle of the world, Archimedes, the artists like Da Vinci, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs of our time, what if some of those amazing thinkers did not share their wisdom with the world? How would our world today be different if everyone kept it inside their head and said, that's mine, I'm not sharing it, right? We probably would be living in still a version of the Dark Ages. The reason I believe for our amazing evolution is because great thinkers are sharing their wisdom with the world. I believe we have a responsibility for humanity to take what's inside our heads and get it out there so we can make it a better world. And what you're contributing, what I believe I contribute and our clients is to push them, to push ourselves, to constantly share more of this knowledge, to inspire others, to take action, to make it a, a better place. See, and I think what you just said there is, is very important because... As much as I love creating content, I also understand the ego of that. I understand that that feeds my ego to create a new thing. Uh, and I create new memes every day. And, you know, it's part of my downtime thing. You know, like other people have other things. It's like, oh, I get to play around and make a meme. But the truth of the matter is that that's for me. 
You might get inspired by it, but that inspiration, it's, it's fleeting. What I need to do more than anything, and this was a big lesson for me, is what I need to do more than anything is move people to action. You and I know this very well. Uh, we grew up uh, business-wise in this idea that content is king. Content is not king. Content is horseshit. There's more content than you could ever possibly poke a stick at. So it doesn't matter. You know, you want a subject, go on Google, you, you know, whatever the subject is. Let's say leadership because that's my area. You could spend 10 years just reading from the pages you've got and still never get finished. So clearly content is not king. Content is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So what is the king? What is the emperor? It's the application. It's the wisdom. So knowledge plus action equals wisdom. So you've got to take the action to get to the wisdom. So whatever it is you're doing, you've got to get people to go, what do I need to do now? And so when I'm writing content, I'm always thinking, okay, what do I want the person to do? Mm. And not necessarily in my direction, but what do I want them to do? And I have to flip that on myself. Wow, this is a great book. I'm so inspired by this wonderful book. And then it goes on my bookshelf. Well, that didn't do anything apart from feed my ego because now I've read another book that I can add to the check the box and brag about it. No, what is the action? And I know that that's a big piece of what you do is getting getting your clients to, to not only produce content, but to produce content that will drive action. And I think that this is what entrepreneurs often forget. And they say, well, I'm still struggling as an entrepreneur. No, no, you, you've done great content creation, but what are you doing to get people to action? So, yeah, it's a very good point. Amen. That's all I can say. This is fabulous. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> Uh, it's, we're talking about content, as, and I said one of the focus areas of my business is to help people create their digital empires. I'm just curious, those ideas that you're talking about, those memes, those podcasts, interviews, where do you get your content ideas from? My ideas, um, I certainly i am a ferocious reader. Um, I, I watch a lot of uh, videos of people that I that I'm inspired by those kind of things but that's not really where my ideas come from I would say without doubt the number one source of my ideas is my intimate conversations it's the intimate conversations it's what I can pull out of a person and develop a strategy right there with that person in that moment uh, for instance there was a, a, a guy I was speaking to just as an introductory call yesterday and I have a lot of these and I'm booked out till you know months in advance to have them and I'm having a conversation with him and he says you know that he's he's struggling with this aspect of his business and I said it's what I do so I just said to him tell me what that reminds you of so he goes what do you mean I said you're struggling with this aspect of your business you're struggling with getting seen in this aspect of your business he goes yeah I said what does that remind you of and he goes, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, no, be personal. He goes, what do you mean? I said, are you married? He goes, yeah. I said, first marriage? He goes, no, second. I said, what broke up the first one? And he says, well, you know, he starts telling me a couple of things. I said, no, no, what really broke it up? And he goes, my wife said that she never felt like a herder. I said, isn't it interesting that you're not feeling heard by your market? And he's like, oh, my God. I go, when did that start? And he goes, what? I said, well, you didn't feel heard. He goes, and he starts thinking about when he's a kid. We started talking about that. So I go, and so, you know, 
listening is the theme. Not being heard is the theme. So I ask him, okay, so now if you can go back and give advice to your little boy who was not being heard by his parents, what would you say to that little boy? And he comes up with it and I go, now let's shift that to a strategy in your business. And he's like, oh my God. You just chip away until you find the diamond. Exactly. That's the point. It's always there in that person. My job is, that, and my skill is that I can get into the laser focus of what brings it out, what, what will penetrate through the garbage and get right down to that diamond. And he went, that's exactly, so I said, so you've not been listening to your market, so they're not hearing you. That's the problem. And he went, so get it. And went away, uh, you know, we designed a strategy right there in 20 minutes. We designed a strategy right there. He went away, he wrote back to me the last night, and he said, I am on fire. And I said, fantastic. I talk about web presence. And what I mean by web presence is, first of all, the strategy. How do you paint success? Who are your buyers? What are they reading? What are they listening to? What are their preferences? What do they worry about? What do they, they inspire or aspire to be? The remarkable content we talked about. So there are three components to my web presence. Number one, the strategy of the business and the internet, the remarkable content, and then the marketing initiative that the person needs to get involved in order to create success. And you already talked about earlier about inspiring them to take action. What have you done from a perspective of your web presence in order to strengthen your thought leadership, in order to increase your global reach, in order to share more valuable inspirational message with your clients? Talk a little bit about that, please. I want to make sure that I'm answering the right question. So if I don't, please, you can come back to me. I have no problem with that. But one of the things I will say is that um, for me, I spell leadership with an R, meaning it's relationship. So when I look at my presence, my presence is, is built just as much on my relationships as it is on my content. People talk about strategic alliances. And yeah, I have lots of those, but that's not what it's about. I do business with my friends. Uh, my friends promote me, not because they have to or because we even have a, a strategic alliance agreement, but because they like my stuff, they like me, I like them, and I like their stuff. And so we share each other's things out. You know, you know one of your clients, Jared Nichols, good friend of mine, but he didn't start out as a friend. You know, and we became friends and we talk at least once a week. We're doing some of the same things in different areas. We over, And so I want to support him. I want to support his books. I want to support what he does. I want to support his platform. He supports mine. Not because um, it's an agreement or there's an affiliate fee, but because this is important stuff. And here's another way to – so that global reach – for me has always come down to relationships. Who do I care about? Who do I care about as a human being? See, for me, if you've got a brilliant strategy and you're a dick, I'm not promoting you. And believe me, I know plenty of those people who have got brilliant strategies, but they're just dicks and I don't want to serve that. But I also know people who have brilliant strategies and are wonderful human beings. And I want you to not just have the tool, but I want you to have a master, and by that, that could be a woman, but a master who really understands how to be with human beings, because relationship is first. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that is for me 
the key thing. It's about relationships. Jared said to me uh, in a conversation just last week, he said, and he names off these six people, and he goes, do you know what all those people have in common? And I said, no. He goes, you introduced me to all of them. You know, and these are all high-profile individuals. But I said, yeah. And he, I, and he said, why? You know, I want to think of that. I said, do you know why I introduced you? And he goes, well, yeah, because I'm a good guy. And I go, no, because you're all good people. You're all heart and soul individuals who are brilliant, and we should share this with the world. Jared is an amazing guy, dear client of mine, and is one of my favorite examples of when the student takes amazing success and start to teach the teacher ideas that the teacher did not think about. So I love Jared, love working with him. I was looking for what are you doing from a web presence perspective, whether it's your strategy, your content, and the key word I'm hearing is it's all about relationship. So whether you have a podcast channel, whether you have video on the web, whether you have an amazing website, it's all about how do you strengthen relationships with individuals. That's what it sounds to me. It's about how do you strengthen relationships with individuals and how do you strengthen your relationship with your client, clients, and prospective clients. And that's not possible if you don't have empathy and compassion. So I would say that my number one strategy is, if it comes to a strategy, is that I understand I'm not better than you. I understand that I may have been doing it longer than you, but I'm not better than you. And that because I'm not better than you, I can look at myself and say, listen, I've been a schmo here and I didn't understand how to do that. Um, I've struggled with this. The reason I, I, you know, I'm incredibly blessed. I'm married to the woman of my dreams. I've been married for, for more than 20 years to an amazing, amazing human being. And people will say all the time, why does it work? And I say, because divorce is always an option. And people go, what? That, that doesn't seem right. And I said, I understand it doesn't seem right. But it's because you're only here in the first half. Divorce is always an option for my wife. Now, my wife has the same philosophy with me. Right? And, what, and they say, well, what does that mean? It means that if I'm not treating her right, she should go somewhere else. She should leave. And if I understand that, then I have to listen with compassion and empathy and not be right and not be judgmental and really and not try to change her, which she doesn't try and change me, which would be a foolish thing to try and do. But inspire each other to be better, to be greater, to step into a, a deeper level of greatness and make a deeper level of impact. And if I'm not treating her that level of being my queen, of being my bride, then she should go somewhere else. And so I treat, I treat my relationships that way. If I'm not honoring my friends, if I'm not loving my friends, if I'm not compassionate and empathetic, they have every right to divorce me because I'm here to serve. That's my number one thing. I'm here to serve. How I serve is, you know, I can build a niche. You know, people say, well, how do you serve? I can build a niche, but the truth is I'm here to serve not by ramming shit down your throat that I think you should have, but by listening to you and saying, what do you really need? You came to me because you want to understand how to dominate this market. That's wonderful. I can definitely help you do that. That's one of the things I help people do, help you to dominate your market by being so in touch with your own soul that other people will naturally flood to you. 
But if I do that without first getting in touch with your soul, what I've given you is a bunch of strategies. Build a podcast, create a video. I'm not listening. What do you really need? So like I said, with that client yesterday, that conversation yesterday, what he really needed was he needed to be heard. And how did he le- does he get to learn to be heard? Is by listening. It sounds like you also bring the heart into it. It's not just the mental mindset. It's it's heart, soul, and mind. And I've said this for years, and people don't grasp it because they think of it as being woo-woo. But but the truth of the matter is, there is nothing woo-woo about it. Nothing woo-woo about it at all. It's actually bare bones, the depth of who we are is is what it is. If you're a purpose-driven organization, your stock value is going to go up. Um, I think the stats were 1,200% higher if you are a purpose-driven organization. That's pretty amazing. 1,200% growth, 400% higher revenues in companies that are purpose-driven, 700% greater job growth. So in a, in a world where we have more, in, particularly in North America, where we have more than 70% people, 70% of people disengaged, if you are a purpose-driven leader, you surround yourself, you net, purpose is this magnificent uh, magnet in that it attracts and it repels. It pushes the wrong people out and pulls the right people in. So when you're purpose-driven, you get more engagement, which creates greater productivity, which creates greater profit. It's all bottom line. If you understand that, but people want to focus on the bottom line. No, no. The bottom line is an outcome. It's a, it's a benefit. Be purpose-driven. Head, heart, and soul. And you can't misalign. It needs all three. So you can't go in and be, oh, you know, woo-woo and purple and, you know, spiraling chakras and not have your head involved. And you can't be all heart and it's all going to be love and it's all going to be wonderful and not have your head and your soul involved. And you can't have just your soul. Oh, I'm just going to approach this from a very spiritual place. It needs all three. And very few people understand that unique connection. But that's the work that I do is connect the three of them and turn it into a strategy. Then the world comes to beg it. It's like, whoa, I want this. Well said, my friend. Let's talk about podcasting. You've created, as I said earlier, an amazing podcast channel. You've uh, had discussions over the year with some amazing thinkers, amazing people out there. I've been fortunate to be on your podcast uh, show. Uh, I was just going to say, I had this guy called Chad Bow one time. Which was great. <laughs> For those out there who say, I may want to create my own podcast channel, or I may even want to be on, on Dove's uh, podcast or Chad's podcast program, can you share some insights, your experience over the years of, again, starting from scratch to develop this empire of podcasts? Thank you. Yeah, we're almost 500 podcasts. Um, as you said, I've been very blessed to have great guests. And in the last five years, I haven't looked for a guest. Uh, people in podcasting say to me, how do you find great guests? I don't. They find me now. So I'm very blessed with that because they're recommended by other guests. But the thing about it is that if first thing I would say is let's look at it from the level of being a guest on a podcast. So, you know, we are booking for May as we record this in in December. So, you know, we have months and months out to book uh, for July release. So good shows are booking way in advance. Uh, If you want to be a guest, um, what I would say to you is this. Don't assume because you're a speaker, you're going to be great on a podcast. You're not. 
you have to learn to speak in a conversational way and that it's not about your shtick and your agenda. And anybody who gets on a show to do that will eventually fail. Um, and you might not, you might be okay on a small show, but on a bigger shows, you'll never get on. And by the way, I also have a podcast superstar training that I do where I train people to be podcasters, how to be a great host and how to be a great guest. And you can find out about that on my website. However, the understanding of it is this, what is it you want the listener to get? What is it you want them to take away and what are one or two stories that are short that you can deliver that will allow somebody to get the message you are trying to deliver? So kind of get that on paper. Don't write it word for word, but just like this. I want everybody to walk away knowing this. Okay. And there's a couple of stories I can help them to understand it is this and this, but don't write them out word for word. It's really important that you just, it's a conversation. So that's number one as a guest. The other thing I would say to you is, as a guest, I would highly recommend, you know, do my podcast superstar training, sure. But get yourself on a bunch of small podcasts. There are a bunch of people who have 10 listeners. It's fine. Get practiced. Just keep doing it. You'll get better, I promise you. Now, the other thing about it is being a host. You might go, well, I want to have a show. Let me tell you, I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's incredibly competitive. It's very competitive. When I started, it wasn't so. Now it's very competitive. Uh, people who were having 60,000 downloads a month are, are down to 5,000 because there's much more choice. But you're getting better listeners who are more loyal. So it's a distinction in that. The other thing is that podcasts, and I had the numbers, so I don't have them in front of me, the numbers are going through the roof. The thing to know about it is we are taking over radio because now um, car companies putting podcast receiving into cars. So instead of radio stations, so now uh, it, we are just growing through the roof. You will see this absolutely take off. Next thing about it, because I said leadership is relationship, podcasting is a phenomenal way to build relationships. You get to have a deep conversation with somebody, depending on what your show's about, that really lets you build a relationship. Who is, you know, you say, well, I say, okay, who's number one in your industry? You say, Mr. or Mrs. whoever is. And I go, okay, try calling them up and asking them to talk to you for an hour. They ain't going to do it. They're too damn busy. But try asking them to come and have a conversation with you for an hour to promote themselves. Of course, they'll do that. Right? And so, and you can have a chance of building a wonderful relationship for that. So it's a phenomenal platform. It builds relationships. It's a growing platform. But here's the thing. Go listen to a bunch of shows, a bunch of hosts that you like. Find out what you like about each, each of them, but don't copy anybody. This is the biggest mistake. And again, by the time I started my podcast, I must have been on a, a minimum of 1,000 interviews. I, I mean, I've been doing it for years. And I thought, this would be easy. You know, I've been interviewed a thousand times. And I went in to do my first, it was a radio show. And I went and do my first radio show, my show, as in my own. And I went in and I was, you know, my hair was longer and it was slicked back. And I had to, you know, dress nice. And, and I went in there and I went and did the show. And when I came out, I was in my underwear and my hair like Einstein. And my wife's like, 
what the hell happened? You went in fully dressed. And I said, I know, I was so nervous and I was sweating and I was pulling clothes off in breaks. <laughs> Just like a Meshuggah, complete crazy man. Because it's not the same. And so this is the thing. It's not the same. So, you know, get some training, get some help. But it's a phenomenal branding builder. It's a phenomenal relationship builder. It's a phenomenal strategic alliance. And it allows you to have the relationships that can leverage you, your business, and your brand up the yin-yang. This is great advice. Thank you for that. Three questions left. This was fabulous, great insights. I love it. First one, as entrepreneurs, as human beings, we always have to overcome challenges and adversities. What's one of the biggest challenges that you were able to overcome that had the most greatest significant impact on your personal life and your business? At a business level, um, 1989, um, I arrived in Canada in 1988, 1989, a friend of mine took me to, it was going on about this guy called Tony Robbins who I'd never heard of when I arrived from Australia. And he said, you gotta come see him. I went to down in Seattle with him and a girlfriend and we, we sat there and at the end of it, Tony, you know, back then Tony was a lot smaller and Tony said, you know, if you want to talk to me at the end, wait. And I did. And I made sure I was last because I didn't want to have the pressure of somebody behind me. I kept stepping back. Okay, go ahead. And I waited. And then at the end, Tony said, how was it for you? I said, it was awesome. And he said, how do you feel? And I said, pissed off. And Tony like smiled because it was not what he expected. He smiled. He was very gracious. And he said, why is that? I said, because you made 11 million last year, which would be a terrible year for him now. But back in those days, I said, you made 11 million last year and I'm standing here in a secondhand jacket and I'm at least as good as you. And Tony, big smile, again, very gracious. Uh, I like him a lot. And he said, who's on your team? And I said, I don't play soccer anymore. That's how dumb I was about that. And he said, I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, the flyer you got, do you think I printed that? And I said, probably not. He goes, when you came in the door, did I collect your ticket? I go, no. He goes, uh, the PowerPoint, do you think I made it? I said, yeah. He goes, no, I didn't. He goes, uh, you know, and he started listing all these things and I, and each one of them was, he wasn't doing. And I said, okay. And he goes, that's a team. You'll never make it till you have a team. But you know, being a bit dumb, that took me about 10 years to work out. Right. Got it right. You know, from the guy and it, you know, Eight, ten years later, I went, oh, maybe I need a team. <laughs> like I told you, nice guy, slow learner. Um, so that was the thing that transformed my business is understanding I need a team. And as a solopreneur, if you're listening to watching this, you're thinking, I can't afford a team. You're absolutely right. You probably can't get one anyway. The thing about today is you can hire people from Fiverr. You can hire people from uh, online platforms to just do projects for you. And you can do it a little bit at a time and paying a little project at a time. But you cannot do it on your own. And it is the poorest use of your time. Don't do it. So that's number one. That's what transformed my business is getting a team. Now, the other thing around that is my team and not just the people who work for me as in they do projects. But my team and this are my tribe. And what I mean by that, I have two tribes, the one that I serve, which are my clients, and the tribe of people who are pulling me to the next level. 
There are my board of advisors. Jared is in my board of advisors. Tony Grebmeyer is in, in my board of advisors. Joel Bowers, he's in my board of advisors. Damian Loth, people who are all doing amazing things in their, in their own spectrums are my tribe and they will not allow me to play small. And they call me out. Mark Levy, who's a genius, is in my tribe. And he's like, what are you doing? You got to do, why, why are you doing that? And I get called out. You need a tribe of people who will push you to the higher level because there'll always be people around you who will want you to play small in order to keep them comfortable. And you need to surround yourself with people who will make you uncomfortable. They're not your enemies. They're your real friends who will make you uncomfortable by saying, this is bullshit. You're playing small. Step up. This is great. If we think about serving entrepreneurs, organizations, what would you recommend as the three biggest possible growth insight from your perspective for organizations and individuals? Number one, you have to be purpose-driven. Find your purpose. Number one, find your purpose. Number two, let that be a catalyst for self-discovery. Great leaders, whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're a CEO or president or founder of an organization, is self-knowledge. Arrogance is thinking that you already know yourself. You've always got more to discover. The more you discover, the better leader you will be and the better you'll learn how to serve those you serve. So you have to find your purpose and you have to dig into self-knowledge and be willing to consistently look at that. So consistently look at that, looking for that diamond that is within you. And the third is very simple. It's the thing I just said, who's on your team and whose team are you on? You get that? So, cause I said my inner circle, my tribe, I'm on their team. I'm in their tribe. They're on mine, but I'm in theirs. I'm pushing each one of them too. So if you really want to grow, find your purpose because your purpose will actually tell you who you're actually serving. And I'm actually going to give you a big clue. Here's the thing. If you want to find out who you serve, take a look in the mirror and say, what have I always needed and couldn't get? And don't go, well, I needed a bike. No, no. What have you always needed at a deeply emotional level? And how does your service, the thing you provide, meet that need? If you can do that work, you'll know you'll be on the path to your purpose. So you find your purpose, deeper levels of self-inquiry, find out more about who you are, which is, again, going back into that, what did I need, what did I need? Not at the first level. So the, the rule from uh, Toyota which is the five whys. Go five whys deep. First answer will only be on the surface. Keep going till you get to the depth of it. Then when you're at that place, so now you've got deep self-knowledge that's powering your purpose. Your passion is great, but remember, it's just a vehicle to transport that purpose forward so that you can serve your not only your tribe of clients, but your tribe that, that you support yourself, you're in a circle, and be on other people's teams. No one does it alone. And we're all trying to do it, and it's false. And then just to sort of, if you really want to amp it up, here's the thing. In every conversation, approach that conversation from what can I give, rather what can I get? What can I give right now? You'll want to get, I understand that. 
But if you approach from giving, and I know that this is, I really hate saying this because it's so cliche. People go, you know what, I'm always doing it. Yeah. I'm asking you to do it in a way you've never done it before, which is to check the strings. How many strings do you have attached? So I'm doing this no strings, but really be honest with yourself. What were the strings? When you let go of the strings, transformation happens. Because then you're coming from a place of love. You're coming from a place of abundance. You're coming from a place of gratitude. And that's where wisdom flows. Dove, let me close by number one. Thank you profusely for the time spent, the advice, the insight, the call to action to get people to get off their butt and take action. For those who are interested to follow up with you, what's the best way to contact you? And then I would like to close by just asking you, are you optimistic about the future of our world? Mm, that's a good question. So first of all, you can find out more about me by going to my website, which is fullmontyleadership.com. And if you go to fullmontyleadership.com, you can find out there there's over 500 articles on my blog. As I said, it's a bit overwhelming sometimes, but you can go there. You can also find my podcast on there. You can find access to my YouTube channel and, and my TV channels. I have three TV channels as well. So you can find all those there. Um, and of course, you can Google me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, all those things. Uh, so you can find me on all of those all those places. But here's the thing. My private email, dov at dovbaron.com, dov at dovbaron.com. Now, why am I giving you that? I'm going to give you that for two reasons, because here's the thing. Here's Chad taking time out of his day, busy guy. You know, this is not a guy who comes cheap. His time, his, his energy, his effort is worth a lot of your spend. And he's giving you an hour of his time, and he brings great people to share their wisdom and their knowledge with you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to iTunes. I want you to rate, review, and subscribe to this channel because it, this is a reciprocal world. You need to let Chad know that this time, energy, and effort is worth it to you, that you're getting something out of it. Go and do a review on that. Boost that show up. Share it with your friends. Then what I want you to do is I want you to email Chad and email me and tell us what you've gotten out of this show. Not just the, oh, that was cool and I got four aha moments. That's fantastic. But what are you going to do with it? And that way, so you CC me, you CC Chad, write to us, tell us what you got out of it. And if there's some way that I can be of service to you, if you want to know more about my podcast training, if you want to know about bringing me in as a consultant or a speaker for your organization, you can reach out to me. That is my direct email. It will come directly to me. But I want you to go to Chad and tell him what you got out of it and go again, subscribe to the show, give it great rating. So that's how you get hold of me. Am I optimistic about our future? I am, uh, I am what's called a practical optimist, uh, a realist. Uh, I'm optimistic realist. What I mean by that is that I see the challenges ahead of us. And um, I think that in many ways, uh, the thing that we all need to realize is this, that the ego dry cleans the past. Did you get that? The ego dry cleans the past. It looks back and says, hey, you know, it wasn't that bad. And look, you know, we've all recycled a girlfriend at some point in time, right? Or a boyfriend. You know, it's like meaning, you know, why did I break up with her? And then you date her again. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember now, right? We've all done that. Well, that's what we do with our, with our history. That's what we do uh, with our history as human beings and as, and as countries. And there is no back. There is no again. 
There is only moving forward. So what do you, I'm optimistic as long as we remember that the future is not in the past. The future does not exist in the past. We have to look forward. And, I, and how I'm optimistic because I believe that you were born whole, complete, and magnificent. You are that diamond. And that if you remember that, and you inspire that in others, and you remind others of their magnificence, you, it doesn't let their ego ride the world. It doesn't let their ego drive business. We are coming to the end of the command and control leadership in the world. And when you're coming to the end of it, how do you know we're winning? It's simple. They hold on tighter. So right now we're seeing the grip of command and control coming to the surface, but that's because they're losing the power. I think it was uh, Planck who said, you know, the, one of the ways that we change the world is we wait for the old men to die. They're clinging on right now because the world is changing and we are going to make a magnificent world where we're deeply caring and deeply loving and deeply compassionate because when it all comes down to all, strip the skin off, we're all the same. You are a diamond. You're born whole, magnificent and complete. Take action on that. Remember that the lies you were told are just that lies. Your belief systems that say you're not good enough, bullshit. You're born magnificent, whole, and complete. Dove, you've been amazing. You're awesome. Your devotion, your passion, your love for humanity and people is so obvious. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor to serve you and your audience. It was a total pleasure. Always an honor to speak to you, Chad. You've been listening to Raising the Bar with me, Chad Barr. For more insights, visit my website, thechadbargroup.com, or my blog, chadbar.com. If you find this to be of value, please share with others, and let's go and make an impact. Thanks for listening. Thank you.